بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وان شر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار so in the previous uh, lesson we were discussing the issue of the quran and that the quran is the speech of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that allah he spoke this Qur'an with actual speech and that Jibreel alayhi salam he heard the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then he conveyed it to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi he conveyed it to the ummah and we said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he is the eternal he is without beginning and he is without end and his attributes likewise, whatever attributes Allah has, all of his attributes of knowledge and will and life and hearing and seeing, all of these attributes are eternal with him. And likewise, Allah has a will and a choice. So he chooses to speak and he chooses to act. And because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a will, he has a mashi'ah, he has ikhtiyar, a choice, then Allah performs actions. Allah speaks with whatever He wills. And just like His essence is uncreated, and His attributes are uncreated, then likewise His actions are uncreated, and His speech is uncreated. Once we understand all of this, then because the Qur'an is from the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and because all of the other books in their original form, the Injil, the uh, Torah, the Zabur and other than them, then likewise they are from the uncreated speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning in the manner that they were originally uh, revealed. So we established this and we said that if we summarize the belief of Ahlul Sunnati wal Jama'ah regarding the Quran, then it is in the statement Al Quranu Kalamullah. The Quran is the speech of Allah. Ghayru Makhluqin. It is uncreated. Minhu Bada'a. From him did it begin or commence. Minhu Bada'a Qawlan, as Imam Al Tahawi says, that it, that it began with Allah as speech. Wa ilayhi ya'ud. And it will return back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we elaborated upon this statement uh, from the speech of Shaykh uh, Salih al-Suhaymi, and we looked at some connected issues. And so today we continue, and we had left just a number of doubts. There was some shubuhat, some doubts used by the people of falsehood from the Jahmiyyah and the Mu'tazila, those deviant groups, who erred in this issue, and they began to claim 
that the speech of Allah is something created. So when they innovated this saying, and we elaborated upon this uh, in the previous lessons, we said that the reason why these people began to say that Allah's speech is created, Allah does not have any attributes, Allah will not be seen in the hereafter by the believers, Allah does not descend to the lowest heaven, Allah is not above His throne, above His creation. They, they denied all of these major symbols of the Islamic belief. And the reason why they did that was because they were debating with the atheists and the philosophers, and they began to use the same terms and the same concepts that were with those atheists and those philosophers as a platform of debate. So they began to use their, their, their terms and their conceptual tools. And so when they try to debate with them and try to prove the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by way of this debate, then they in turn use that language, the language of al-ajsam, bodies, al-a'rad, accidents, al-hawadith. You know, these, these were the terms that came from the philosophy of Aristotle and the Greek philosophers. Then they began to define tawheed, they began to define tawheed through these same terms. So instead of tawheed being defined as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed in his book and the messenger explained in his sunnah and as the sahaba understood, which is very simple, which is that whatever Allah affirmed for himself of names and attributes, we affirm, affirm them for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And whatever Allah negated from himself, then we negate that from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So our speech is based entirely upon what Allah said about himself and what the messenger said about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Very simple. And this agrees completely with the fitrah of an individual. When you tell an individual that this is the basis of our speech regarding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's completely, he has no problem in, in, in accepting this. So, so instead of speaking about tawheed, in the way that the prophets and messengers spoke about Tawheed, they began to speak and define Tawheed upon the terms that they inherited from those uh, philosophers and people like them because they were using the same language in order to debate those, those philosophers. So when they looked in the Quran and they saw that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He describes Himself with attributes, He says that He is above His throne, he says that he uh, speaks as and when he wills. This clashed with what they saw to be a proof for establishing Allah's existence. Then this is when they began to deny these major symbols of Islamic belief. Allah is not above his throne. And that's why uh, Ayyub al-Sakhtiyani, rahimahullah, who was uh, from the early first century, from the Tabi'in from the early first century. There are statements narrated from those early Salaf at that point in time where they said that these people, meaning the Mu'tazila and the Jahmiya, they are trying to say that there is no Lord above the heaven. So they figured out what these people were trying to say in that time because in that time they weren't saying it explicitly. They weren't saying Allah is not above his throne. Allah does not speak. They were, they were implying these things. Because in that time, the Islamic belief was strong in the hearts and the minds of the Muslims. And the scholars were many. The scholars from the Tabi'een, there were many. So they couldn't openly proclaim 
the likes of these affairs. But the point being here is that from those major symbols of belief is that they denied that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that, 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 that He speaks and that He has speech. And so a consequence of this claim is therefore you have to explain then what is the Qur'an then. If Allah does not speak, then what is the Qur'an? So they said that the Qur'an is something created. The Qur'an is something created. Now when they innovated this belief, when they innovated this belief, and this is a belief of kufr, it is a belief of disbelief, because it means uh, a denial of Allah's speech, and uh, that's why the scholars in that time, they declared the Jahmiyyah and the Mu'tazila to be, to be kuffar. But where we, where we are leading to is that these people, whenever somebody innovates, he innovates into the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He tries to justify that innovation. He tries to argue for that bid'ah and try to claim that there is evidence for that innovation in the Qur'an and in the sunnah. And so what we're going to do in this lesson, inshallah, or part of this lesson is to look and to investigate some of those doubts or some of those arguments that they try to bring from the Qur'an. So one of those arguments that they bring from the Qur'an is regarding the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Ar-Ra'd, the 13th Surah, verse number 16. Allah says, قُلِ اللَّهُ خَالِقُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ وَهُوَ الْوَاحِدُ In this ayah Allah says, Say Allah is the creator of every single thing. And He is the one, He is Al-Wahid, He is Al-Qahar, the powerful, the strong, the irresistible, the, the, the subduer. So from this verse, they basically said, that because Allah says in this ayah that He is the creator of Kulli Shay. Every single thing, and this is absolute, there is no exception. And so the Qur'an would be included, the Qur'an would be included within this verse. So Allah is the creator of everything, even the Qur'an. So this is their, this is their argument. So the answer to this, the answer uh, to this doubt is that when the word kul is used in the Arabic language when it means everything, it only refers and is limited to the context in which it being in which it is being used. Right? It does not mean absolutely every single thing without exception. And the proof of this is in the Quran. You see, these people they weren't the people who took knowledge from the Sahaba. They didn't take their understanding of the religion from the Sahaba. And because they didn't do that, in their understanding of the verses of the Qur'an, there was deficiency. And so, an example of this in the Qur'an to refute this claim, is that we see in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, uh, regarding, He says, تُدَمِّرُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ بِأَمْرِ رَبِّهَا Allah is speaking here, He says, that Allah... That the, that the wind that Allah is referring to, it destroyed every single thing. تُدَمِّرُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ It destroys every single thing. He used the same word, كُلِّ شَيْءٍ 
by the command of its Lord. So here there's destruction of every single thing. But then we see in in in, in the same passage about these people in Surah Al-Ahqaf, this is the, the 46th Surah, verse number 25. In this ayah, Allah says, speaking of that town and those people in that town, فَأَسْبَحُوا لَا يُرَى إِلَّا مَسَاكِنُهُمْ So Allah says that therefore they became as such where nothing could be seen of them except their homes. Except their homes. So earlier on Allah said that it destroys every single thing. Here Allah says the houses could still be seen. So this clearly shows that the word kulli shay, kulli shay, everything is not absolute. It doesn't mean everything without exception. It means only everything within the context of what is being spoken of. So this shows that uh, these people don't understand, they didn't understand the Arabic language because they didn't take the knowledge from the Sahaba radiallahu anhum. A second example is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said regarding Bilqis, Bilqis in Surah An-Naml. This is the 27th Surah, Surah 27, verse number 23. Allah says regarding her, وَأُوتِيتَتْ مِنْ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ That she was given of everything. She was given of everything. Now does this mean that she was given every single thing of the dominion and the ownership of every single thing. Of course she wasn't. She wasn't given the control and power and over the, the dominion of Suleiman, Ali Islam, or anybody else for that matter. So this shows here when Allah says, min kulli shay, Again, this is restricted only to the context in which it is being spoken of. Meaning that in her land, and where she had power and authority, she was given of everything, of you know, rivers and plants and whatever else. You know, this is what is meant. And then we see in the uh, Quran another argument is that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He says in the Quran in reference to Isa alayhi salam, "Ta'lamu ma fi nafsi, wala a'lamu ma fi nafsik." In fact, this is the saying of Isa alayhi salam. He says, You know what is in myself, but I do not know what is, and he says, fi nafsik, in yourself. So here, Isa alayhi salam, he used the word nafs for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nafs here just means self, the self of a, of, of you know, the self, the being, the self. So, in another ayah, Allah also says, that I chose you. This is now in reference to Musa salam. That I chose you for myself. So again, Allah refers uh, to himself or he establishes a self for himself. With this understood, now we go back and we, uh, we reply back to those Jahmiyyah and those Mu'tazila who are using this argument of kull, kulli shay. In the Quran, Allah says, Kullu nafsin, kullu nafsin, dha'iqatul maut. Kullu nafsin, dha'iqatul maut. Every soul, every nafs will taste death. So the response to these people is, does this mean that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wa na'udhu billahi min thalik, 
that he comes under this ayah? And the answer is of course not. Because Allah does not come under this under this generality. And this means, this is another proof, another proof on top of everything that's, that's, uh, that's, that's come before, that the word kul, the word kul, even though it's a generalization, it's a restricted generalization. It only applies to the context in which it is being used. And another example is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-An'am, the sixth surah, verse number 19, Allah says, قُلْ أَيُّ شَيْءٍ أَكْبَرُ شَهَادَةً Allah asks, say, which thing? قُلْ أَيُّ شَيْءٍ أَكْبَرُ شَهَادَةً Which thing is the greatest testimony? And then Allah says, قُلِ اللَّهِ Say, it is Allah. So here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has been referred to as شَيْء شَيْء, as a thing. قُلْ أَيُّ شَيْءٍ So now, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is described as شَيْء Then we go back to the verse those people are using where they claim that Allah is the creator of every single thing. That Allah is the creator. Allahu خَالِكُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ Does that mean Allah enters into that as well? The answer is no. Likewise, when Allah says تُدَمِّرُ كُلِّ شَيْءٍ that this wind, it destroys every single thing. Does Allah come into that? Of course not. So all of this shows that these people, when they use, and this is the same for every single innovator, every innovator who tries to use an ayah from the Qur'an to justify his innovation, then we know that he is ignorant. He's ignorant of the Qur'an. He's ignorant of its language. He's ignorant because he didn't take this knowledge, he didn't take this understanding, he didn't take it from the Sahaba. He, he didn't, it wasn't transmitted from the Sahaba. And that's why he is falling into this misguidance and this innovation. So this is the first doubt that these people tried to use uh, to claim that the Qur'an is something created. As for the second doubt, then it is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you see these people went and started trying to pick out evidences from the Qur'an that they thought in their ignorance would, would help to justify their, their belief. So the second evidence that they brought is the saying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Az-Zukhruf, which is the 43rd Surah, verse number 3. Allah says, إِنَّا جَعَلْنَاهُ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا Allah says, indeed, we have made it to be an Arabic Qur'an. We made it an Arabic Qur'an. So the argument that they use from this verse is they said that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word ja'ala, the word ja'ala in Arabic, they said, it means khalaqa. It's okay, it's okay, I can hear. So the word, so the word, so they claimed that the word ja'ala means khalaqa, created. And the response, the response to this claim, and again this shows their ignorance of the Arabic language, and this is because this word, the word ja'ala, it can mean created. But only when 
it is stated in reference to one object. This is now a grammatical thing. This is now a grammatical uh, rule. Basically, when the word ja'ala is used in reference to one object only, it can mean that something is created. And there are examples of this in the Qur'an. Allah says, وَجَعَلَ الظُّلُمَاتِ nur." Allah made the darknesses and the light. Meaning Allah created the darknesses and the night. Here it's one object. Allah created the darknesses, Allah created the night. That's one example. And likewise Allah says, uh, He is the one who created you from one soul. وَجَعَلَ مِنْهَا زَوْجَهَا And he made from it its spouse or its partner. Meaning he created from it its spouse and its partner. And so, so when we have one object, it means it can mean created. But the word ja'ala can also take two objects. Take two objects. Meaning to make something into something. So now we have two objects instead of one. When there's just one object... When we said Allah made the darkness, meaning He created the darkness. But when we have two objects, then the meaning is not, it does not mean that He created that thing. So, some examples of this in the Quran, uh, where the word ja'ala does not mean created, is when Allah says about the mushrikeen, Allah says, وَجَعَلُوا لِلَّهِ shuraka." وَجَعَلُوا لِلَّهِ shuraka." This is Surah Al-An'am, Surah 6. Verse number 100. So he says that they set up for Allah partners, partners in worship. So here, Did they create the shuraka? Of course they didn't. The shuraka, those partners who are partners in worship with Allah, are already present. They already exist. They're already there. So this proves that the word ja'ala does not mean khalaqa. And in another ayah, Allah says, فَجَعَلَهُمْ كَعَسْفٍ مَأْكُولٍ This is Surah Al-Feel. Allah made them, so Allah says, Allah made them كَعَسْفٍ مَأْكُولٍ So these people already existed, and then He turned them to being into, into something else. So the point being here that the word جَعَلَ does not mean خَلَقَ And with this understanding, the argument of the Mu'tazila and the Jahmiyyah from this ayah, inna ja'alnahu Qur'anan Arabian, is falsified. Rather what this means, the meaning of this ayah is, that we spoke this Qur'an as an Arabic Qur'an. This is the meaning of the ayah. Inna ja'alnahu Qur'anan Arabian, meaning that when we spoke this Qur'an, we spoke it in Arabic. And so therefore the Qur'an became an Arabic Qur'an. This is the correct meaning of this ayah. The third meaning, or the third argument, sorry, that these people uh, used from the Qur'an is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Hijr, which is the 15th, in fact it's in uh, two places in the Qur'an. Uh, it's in Surah Al-Anbiya, Surah 21, the second verse. And in this ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, مَا يَأْتِيهِم مِّن ذِكْرٍ مِّن رَبِّهِم مُحْدَثٍ in this ayah Allah says that there does, not, there does not come to them a remembrance or a reminder from their Lord which is muhdath. This word is used, muhdath. 
which means a recent reminder. This is the translation of the ayah. That never does there come to them a recent revelation from their Lord. This is the meaning of the ayah. Except that they listen to it whilst they are playing around. Playing around idle, you know, idly. So, the argument they used from this verse is this word muhdath. Muhdath, they said, it means makhluq. That the word muhdath means makhluq, means created. And the answer to this, uh, this answer is given by many uh, scholars. And again, this is from their ignorance of the meaning of this ayah. Because first of all, the correct meaning of this verse is that because the Qur'an was revealed over time, and whenever any new revelation would come, so whenever any new revelation would come to the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, it would be new and recent to the Messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and to the believers, meaning that it was something recent and new that they received from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which they didn't have before and they didn't know before. This does not mean that it is created. And we have the statement of Abu Ubaid al-Qasim, who, was, who is known as the Imam of the Arabic language. And he said, and this is in fact quoted by Imam al-Bukhari, rahimahullah, in his book, Khalq Af'al al-Ibad. He said, regarding this ayah, Muhdathin, he said, Hadatha in the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa ashabihi, lamma allamallahu ma lam yakun yu'lam. Which means, that this ayah, Muhdathin, it means that this is of recent information to the Prophet ﷺ and to his companions when Allah taught them that which was not known previously. Right? This is the meaning of the ayah. And likewise, Ibn Qutaybah, he uh, wrote a book called Al-Ikhtilaf fil lafz This is a, a very important book because in this book he addresses many of the false arguments and false interpretations used by the people of innovation to support their particular innovations. So he corrects many of the misuses of the, of, of the verses of the Qur'an. And so he addresses this ayah and he says, Al-Muhdath, here this word Muhdath is not with the meaning of makhluq. It's not with the meaning of created. And then he mentions some verses as, as proof. Perhaps Allah may bring about a command thereafter. Use the word yuhdithu. Same. And la'allakum yattakuna aw yuhdithu lahum dhikra. That maybe they might have taqwa of Allah or he might bring forth for them a remembrance. Yuhdith. Meaning that he might bring for them the Quran as a further revelation, as a reminder and a remembrance. Meaning that he renews upon them that which they did not know previously. So, this is another argument, a third argument that they use. They say, because Allah referred to the Qur'an as muhdath, this means it is created. And this is false. <coughs> and whilst we are on this topic, one of the principles that we should be aware of when we come to looking at the people of innovation is, and this is specific to the people of Kalam, the people of Kalam, the Jahmiya, the Mu'tazila, the Ash'ariya, the Maturidiya, is what they did historically is that they took words in Arabic whose meanings are known in Arabic and then they 
put philosophical meanings into those Arabic words, right? So this means that when you are speaking to these people, when you're speaking to, like today, the, 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 the Ash'aris and the Maturidis, when they are using words, when they speak to you and they are using words, first of all, you have to know what do they mean by these words, because what they actually mean, and which they won't reveal to you, is something totally different to what you think they mean. And there are many examples of this. We can, because we are on this topic of the word muhdath, one of those words or one of those pairs of words is the meaning of muhdath, or sorry, hadith and qadim. Hadith and qadim. So the word hadith and the word qadim, the word, let's deal with the word qadim first. The word qadim in Arabic simply means something which precedes something else. Something which comes before something else. Right? So just by way of example, the Zabur of Dawood al-Islam is Qadim compared to the uh, Injil. And the Injil, as a revealed book, is Qadim compared to the Qur'an. This is the meaning of Qadim. Something that precedes something else, that comes before something else. And on the other hand, when we say hadith or hadith, this means something which is recent, of recent occurrence. So, something can be said to be recent in relation to something that, 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 that came before. Now, what they, what, they claim, what they claim, they say that the word qadim means eternal. The word qadim means eternal, without beginning. And this is a mistake in the Arabic language. It's a mistake in the Arabic language. And because they... they, they uh, so, that, so that's what I'm trying to say. That When you speak to these people and they say Qadim and Hadith, we understand these terms upon how the Arabs understood them and how they are understood in the Qur'an, in the, in the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But when they speak to you, then they are, using, they are loading meanings onto these terms which are philosophical meanings that they've taken from their, their ilmul kalam or whatever else. Let me give you another example, just so that this point sticks in your mind. Another example that they used, this is the Mu'tazila, also the Ash'aris and other than them. The word Wahid in the Arabic language. The word Wahid means one. They gave a definition of this word to mean that which is undivisible, that which cannot be divided any further. So they said the word Arabic, the, the word wahid in Arabic means that which is indivisible. And this is batil, it is false. Where they took this idea from is from the, 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 the Greek philosophers who had beliefs where, uh, there were certain beliefs that existed, the belief in atomism and things like that. And they took this idea and they said that the meaning of oneness and unity and tawheed, they, they, they put this meaning into tawheed as well, it means indivisibility. That something, something cannot be divided at all. It is just one. Right? But this is not the meaning of one in the Arabic language. In the Quran, Allah refers to a man as one or two, men as one and two. But the whole idea, what these people were trying to... You have to understand how these people are working. What the Mu'tazila, when they brought this false definition of wahid, they used it to deny the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They said, if we say there is Allah, 
And then there is the knowledge of Allah and the hearing of Allah and the seeing of Allah and the life of Allah and the, the, you know, the, the, the will of Allah. We've now established another six or seven gods alongside Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and we have therefore made Allah to be composed. Allah is now composed. He is murakab as opposed to being wahid which is indivisible. Right? So you can see how a false definition of this Arabic word wahid right, leads to a false understanding of tawheed. So now tawheed becomes what? Tawheed means to deny all of the attributes of Allah because that, is, that would be shirk. To affirm the attributes of Allah means you are making Allah to be composed, which is the opposite of wahid, which means indivisible. And so therefore you have now committed shirk with Allah and kufr. And this, is what, this is where the Mu'tazila were coming from. And this is why uh, you have to be careful that when you speak with these people, when they say, I believe Allah is al-wahid, does he mean what you think he means? Well, you have to be careful because they, they are... They are they have different concepts in their mind when they are speaking to you about their version of Tawheed, which is not a Tawheed that the messengers brought and which is expounded in the books revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the, these are a couple of, a couple of examples. <coughs> there are in fact many examples that Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah uh, explains the false uh, you know, meanings they give to different terms, al-jism, uh, you know, al-hawadith. There are many, many examples like this. So, moving on, we have another ayah, another argument that they bring from the uh, Quran, and this argument is regarding the statement of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. He referred to Isa as kalimat, uh, as kali, as a kalima. So, he referred to Isa al-Islam as a kalima. Allah says in the Quran, إِنَّمَا الْمَسِيحُ عِيسَى بْنُ مَرْيَمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ وَكَلِمَتُهِ Indeed, the uh, Messiah, Isa is the son, of, the, the, the son of Mary, is the messenger of Allah and his speech, which he sent to Maryam in the Quran. So these people, they said, they said, since Isa al-Islam is someone created, clearly Isa al-Islam is someone created, is a created being, and Allah referred to him as his kalima, this means that the kalam of Allah, the kalam of Allah, Isa is makhluk, and so therefore the kalam, the kalima, is also, is also makhluk. And then they use this to argue that therefore the speech of Allah, which is his kalima, is therefore created. And the refutation of this Again, it shows their ignorance of the book of Allah. Is that when Allah says, Isa al-Islam is the kalima, is the word of Allah, it means that Allah created Isa by way of a word. Not that Isa is that word. Okay? So let's mention that again. The meaning of this ayah, the meaning of when Allah says that Isa is the kalima of Allah, it means that Isa was created by a word spoken by Allah. Not that Isa is that actual word. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he created Isa by saying, Kun, be, be. And by way of that word that Allah spoke, be, 
then Isa, Isa, his creation was brought about by way of that word. And this is what is meant by Isa being the word of Allah, meaning being created by a word of Allah, by a command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we see in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions regarding Adam alayhi salam, he says, and comparing, making a likeness between Isa, he says, إِنَّ مَثَلَ عِيسَى عِنْدَ اللَّهِ كَمَثَلِ آدَمَ خَلَقَهُ مِنْ تُرَابٍ ثُمَّ قَالَ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ Indeed, the example of the likeness of Isa in the, in, in the sight of Allah with Allah is like the example of Adam. He created him from dust, then he said to him, Be, and he was. So Isa was created by the command be kun, just like Adam was created with the command kun. So we see there is no difference between between that. So therefore the word kun is not the same as the physical body of Isa alayhi salam. Because that's what these people are trying to claim. That the word of Allah kun is the physical body of Isa alayhi salam and therefore the speech of Allah is therefore created. So again this likewise is, is false. So these are just some of the arguments used by the Jahmiya and the Mu'tazila to argue that the Qur'an is uh, created. And all of these are from the verses in the Qur'an. Now there is a second argument. There is a second argument which is used by these people. And in fact, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he refers to it specifically a bit later in the poetry, which we'll expand upon a bit later on. But at this point, we'll briefly mention it. They claim that in the Arabic language, the word kalam, the word kalam, that it only refers to the meaning in the self. Right. This is the argument that they, that, 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 that they claim. That when we look at the definition of the word kalam in Arabic, speech in Arabic, it only means the meaning that you have in yourself and not the actual expression, not the actual words that you speak. That's not part of kalam. The actual kalam is the meaning in the self. Right? So this is an innovated understanding of the word kalam in Arabic. Because when you look in all of the uh, books of language, of the Arabic language, the, the word kalam is clearly defined as nutq, which is an expression uh, you know, nutqun mufhimun.
So the second argument is regarding the definition of the word kalam. <coughs> what is the definition of the word kalam? And they said that kalam in the Arabic language means only the meaning which one has in his self, which he thinks about before he expresses it in actual words. And the reason why they said this is that they wanted to deny that Allah has actual speech, speech which he spoke, which can be heard. And they, and they use this definition to support their claim and their belief that the Qur'an is, that the Qur'an is created. Well, first of all, this, uh, the, 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 the basis of them saying that kalam is just the ma'na in the self, they took this or they allege that it is from a poet by the name of Al-Akhtal. Al-Akhtal was actually a Christian, a Trinitarian, Trinitarian Christian who lived in the second century. And so, first of all, notice that in, in defining Kalam, who have they gone to? They've gone to a Trinitarian Christian, number one. Secondly, when you look at the actual ascription of this, there's actually a line of poetry which we'll come to later on, inshallah ta'ala, when we come to the relevant point. But this line of poetry which is ascribed to this Christian is not firmly established from him. It's not firmly established from being from Al-Akhtal. Not firmly established from being from Al-Akhtal. And the third thing is that some of the scholars in the 4th and 5th century, when they were debating with the Ash'aris and people like that who, who inherited this saying, they would say to them, who is, the, who is this Akhtal? You, you are arguing against us by using the saying of this Akhtal, this Christian. You've built, your, you've built your doctrine upon a line of poetry from this Christian and you've abandoned the book and the Sunnah. This Al-Akhtal is from the 2nd century. Christian, 2nd century, Islamic. No, Islamic. He was present in the time of, of, of Islam. Yeah, yeah. Christian, yeah. So, uh, they took this uh, line of poetry in which Al-Akhtal, he says that indeed, Kalam is in the heart and the outward speech is only an evidence for what is in the heart. Right? This is the general translation of that poetry. We'll look at it in more detail in a future lesson. Uh, but the point being here, again, to connect it with what we mentioned earlier on, these people, the way of these people, of, of, of the, of the uh, Jahmiya, the Mu'tazila, and especially those who inherited from them, the Ash'aris and Maturidis, their deen is all about playing with definitions. Playing with definitions. This is how they, when, when they speak to you and argue with you, it's all about definitions. What does istiwa mean? Tell me what does istiwa mean in the language. I'm trying to confuse you with, with, with definitions. What is the meaning of wahid? What is the meaning of kalam? And in every single instance, they are bringing an innovated meaning, which is not known to the, to the Arabs. And they're trying to impose that meaning onto the Arabic term or the Arabic language. And they leave what is in the Quran, what is in the Sunnah, what is narrated from the, from the Sahaba. And so you have to be very careful when you, when you, when you talk to these people, because... As I said, what they mean by terms is not the same as what you would understand by those terms. And an example of that we, we gave previously, uh, we said that, as an example, because we're on this topic, we'll elaborate one a bit more, inshallah. For example, when you speak to these people, they will say to you, 
I believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is above his throne. He's above his throne. I believe he is above his throne. What they mean by above is not the same as what you might mean, what you might think they mean by the word above. To us, we believe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by textual evidence, he is above his creation. He is above all of his creation. This is ijma of the entire uh, the, the, the salaf. And it is something rooted in the fitra of every single person. Until even a Jew and a Christian, it is in their, in their fitra to seek Allah above. So when they say, we believe Allah is above the throne, what they mean is that Allah is above only in the sense of rank and status. Right? So you say, a gold coin is above a silver coin. A gold coin is above a silver coin, meaning that in value and worth and rank and status. And likewise, you say the king, the king is above his subjects, meaning that he is of a greater rank and greater status than, than his subjects. So when they speak to you and they want to conceal their belief or they want to you know, play and fool around in words and speech, they will say, yes, I believe, I believe Allah is above. When you quote them an ayah in the Quran, that Allah is al-qahir, fawqa ibadihi. Allah is, al- Allah is Al-Qahir. He is above His servants. They say, yes, I believe that. I believe Allah is Al-Qahir above His servants. What He means by it is something different to what you mean. He means, I believe Allah is great, high in rank and status, but He will not affirm that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Himself with His essence above His throne, above His creation, as was, you know, as has come in the book and the sunnah and believed by the, by the Sahaba. So, we finish today then, because the time for Salah has come. We finish just with the ruling. What is the hukum? What is the Islamic ruling upon a person who speaks with the creation of the Qur'an? Right? Now, this ruling applies to the Jahmiyyah. It also applies to the Mu'tazila. And likewise, it applies to the saying of the Ash'aris and Maturidis who are present today. Because they, they hold this belief. They hold the belief that the Qur'an is created. However, they use codes and encryption. They, they try to uh, make their belief appear other than what it is. Because they encode their belief by using certain phrases and statements to make it appear other than what it is. So the ruling upon the one who says the Qur'an is created, from, them, from the statements of the Salaf, and we have many statements, we'll just give a, a sample of them. Uh, from them is the statement of... Uh, Sufyan bin Sa'id al-Thawri who is the Amir of the believers in hadith he said man qala inna qul huwa Allahu ahad Allahu samad makhluqun fa huwa kafir whoever says that qul huwa Allahu ahad Allahu samad whoever says that this this surah this this verse is created then he is a kafir he is a disbeliever <coughs> And likewise, from the statement of Na'a, from the uh, statement of Ibn Nafi' that Malik, rahimahullah, he said, "Man qala al-Qur'anu makhluqun, man qala al-Qur'anu makhluqun, yu'addab wa yuhbas, hatta tu'lama minhu at-tawbah." Whoever says the Qur'an is created, he is to be admonished, and he is to be imprisoned up until. 
repentance is known from him up until he's made open and clear his his uh, repentance and he also said imam malik man qala al qur'anu makhluqun yustatabu fa in taba wa illa duribat unquh that whoever says the quran is created his repentance is to be sought so either he repents or his neck is to be struck he also used to say abdullah ibn al mubarak one of the imams of the salaf used to say al jahmiya kufar the jahmiya are disbelievers likewise muhammad bin ayun bin ayan he said that he heard another bin muhammad say one of the imams of the salaf whoever says man qala and he quotes an ayah in the quran innani ana allahu la ilaha illa ana fa'budni is created then he is a disbeliever now whoever says that when allah says in the quran indeed i am allah there is none worthy of worship except me so worship me alone whoever says that this ayah is created then he is a he is a disbeliever and also from ibn khuzayma rahimahullah one of the imams of the 4th century the third and fourth century he said al-quran kalam allah ta'ala wa man qala innahu makhluqun fa huwa kafirun yustatabu fa in taba wa illa qutil wa la yudfanu fi maqabir al-muslimin that the quran is the speech of allah the most high whoever says it is created then he is a disbeliever his repentance is to be sought either he repents or otherwise he is killed and he is not to be buried in the graveyards of the uh, muslims so this is just a small sample there are in fact scores and scores and scores and scores of statements from the salaf establishing that the one who says that the quran is created is a disbeliever now just to finish on a note which is that today the jahmiyyah who are present today they are the ash'aris and the maturidis and they actually hold this belief they actually hold the belief that the quran that we have the quran that we recite the mushaf what is in this quran of the letters and the words that it is created it is in their books and they admit that their belief is the same as the mu'tazila they only differ in a matter of wording the imams like ar-razi uh, in the past and likewise uh, in the present time al-buti who's from their scholars they actually frankly admit that what what the mu'tazila say is the same as what we're saying we're just arguing and disputing over 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 wording so this means that these people who are present today from the ash'aris and the maturidis they are propounding a doctrine which is kufr no doubt but of course we don't make takfir we don't go around and the scholars don't make takfir of the ash'aris and maturidis why because there is a shubha a doubt there is a, a, a misconception and the difference is that in the time of the salaf in the time of the salaf the truth was clear and known you couldn't come along and start claiming the quran is created in the time of the salaf and you know expect to get away with that because the uh, the, the the knowledge inherited from the sahaba was present amongst the tabi'in the imams were present in abundance the hujjah was established against these people and so the the matter was like this today we see that because misguidance is widespread and people are brought up in schools of thought which they think to be the truth right because these schools became established the people inherited from these schools and 
uh, it was assumed that they represent the truth. So now we have people being born into doctrines and ideas that they think to be from the truth. Whereas in this instance, the issue that we're speaking of, we are, we are speaking of a matter of belief and disbelief. So no doubt, the Ash'aris and Maturidis, that which they say about the Qur'an is pure kufr. It is kufr. It is kufr to say that this Qur'an that we recite, memorize, read, that it is not the actual speech of Allah, it is something created. This is kufr. Uh, but as we said, that because there are shubahat, there are doubts, they have misinterpretations, misunderstandings, then we have to establish the proof upon them. We have to establish the hujjah against uh, these people and their leaders before we can even make takfir of individuals. So the point I'm making is that even though this is a belief of kufr, we follow the uh, methodology of Ahlul Sunnah, which is that we distinguish between a statement being disbelief and an action being disbelief and a person being a disbeliever. It does not follow that a person falls into a statement of disbelief or he performs an action of disbelief, that he automatically becomes a disbeliever. Rather, there is a process in the middle and there are barriers to takfir, such as ignorance, a person, person could be ignorant, a person could have been compelled, a person might have a ta'wil, he made a faulty interpretation. Okay, so these are barriers which have to be removed before we judge a person to be a disbeliever. So, so we're trying to balance between the seriousness of this issue of belief, and at the same time, not making takfir of people, because there could be reasons that explain why they're upon what they're upon. So with that, we conclude uh, today's talk. And this leads us now, this concludes our discussion of the Qur'an. This now leads us into the next line of poetry, in which Shaykh al-Islam, Ibn Taymiyyah, in what is ascribed to him, he says, وَأَقُولُ قَالَ اللَّهُ جَلَّ جَلَالُهُ الْمُصْطَفَى الْحَادِي وَلَا أَتَأَوَّلُ In this line of poetry, Shaykh al-Islam is now laying down the foundations about the way of Ahlul Sunnah in speaking about the attributes of Allah in general. The attributes of Allah in general. So inshallah we will uh, look at that line of poetry in the next lesson, insha'Allah ta'ala. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.